0: This is an important story, the story for me on Canada Day to talk about. I think it's been the biggest story so far in 2023 into 2022. I mean, grabbing the public's attention there. Terry Glavin has done yeoman's work on this. And when I think about the media, I'm very critical, by the way, and I think everyone knows that. And then I say, but be careful. There are people doing fantastic work in the media. Terry Glavin is one of the people that instantly comes to mind, doing important stories, courageous stories, I would say. And I don't use that term uh, loosely, but for the last, over a decade, Terry has been talking about the Communist Party of China targeting Canada. That finally seems to be on people's radar. So I'm excited to get Terry here talking about, as I say, I think the most important story we've seen this year. And of course, it started last year in the public's consciousness. I mean, the the time frame is much longer. Terry, I appreciate you finding time for us. Uh, And as I say, this is a Canada Day story. Thanks for your kind words there, Michael, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, I want to start with, I think the story's gotten so big, Terry, that people sort of get confused. I mean, maybe it jumped on the radar more uh, when started to talk about election interference, and then that's developed, and there's more evidence on that. And more to that story. But I'm going to back up a little bit because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong anywhere along here, but a lot of it starts with United Front work department operations within Canada. So I thought this is something that people absolutely have to have a takeaway on and understand. So maybe you could just elaborate a little bit on the United Front for us.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, I think you're right. Is, you know, around there was a little bit of noise and then a hell of a lot of noise starting last fall about uh, Beijing's influence operations in Canada because of the evidence for uh, Beijing's proxies directly involved in election interference in Canada in 2019 and 2021. Um, And I think the interesting thing about that whole hullabaloo was that you had people in the intelligence community who were Um, whistleblowing, I'd say, um, and releasing documents that essentially were reporting that what, you know, a handful of reporters in this country um, had been reporting for quite a while was actually true. And that they knew that, you know, we're starting to get some of the grainy and gritty detail of um, the United Front's uh, activities in the country Uh, It's interesting that when CSIS briefed um, Aaron O'Toole um, about uh, the United Front operations uh, and the election interference operations in 2021, it was all about ensuring the defeat of the Conservative Party at the polls, and it was 100% United Front. Uh, That's what we've been hearing from the RCMP, from CSIS, from the uh, I've been hearing for, from the uh, PCO, the former uh, uh, head of the intelligence assessment secretariat from for the PCO, going back about a decade now. So, what is the United Front? Okay, the United Front Work Department is a is an infrastructure within the Chinese Communist Party that has been around since the days of Mao Zedong. Um, The the whole point of the United Front is to spread the party's influence outside the party structure uh, uh, domestically and also internationally, particularly focusing on the diaspora communities. So uh, what happened, a couple of things that were very interesting that happened in 2015. There was a massive boost in the resources that Xi Jinping made available to the United Front uh, international operations. And we had an election in Canada of, uh, there's nothing shadowy about it, of, of a government that was devoted to the proposition that Canada's middle-class prosperity lay in the, the integration of Canada's advanced market economy, and natural resources with China's emerging uh, consumer markets and China's uh, out uh, looking out, uh, is is the English translation, uh, infusion of Chinese capital in acquisitions around the world. Um, So that was a really big event in 2015 for the United Front. And then in 2018, uh, just before the, you know, 2019 federal election interestingly uh the united front in canada went uh through another uh, kind of blossoming it was a massive infusion of resources uh to the point where by the end of 2018 um the united front work department's budget they just added 40,000 more agents And their budget, its budget, exceeded the entire budget of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So uh, to conclude, the United Front has basically taken over about 160, I think it is, uh, various uh, kind of astroturf organizations in Canada in the diaspora communities. Actually, a lot of that is very... Sad. I find it very sad because a lot of these organizations go back more than a century to hometown associations um, that uh, Sun Yat-sen and the initial Chinese nationalists established and uh, has been also incredibly successful in Canada in what uh, the United Front calls its elite capture operations. Um, and we could talk about that because I think that's the big story here really is, um, uh, is that, and this isn't sort of shadowy stuff. Uh, this is, this is really what has been happening in plain sight. Um, when, I mean, and, uh, but a lot of it does go under the radar because, you know, you can talk about this, um, in the, mo- in the calmest and most rational and modest l- terminology, uh, possible, but it sounds like it's just so unbelievable, you know, like there was a massive, for instance, a massive uh, United Front, international United Front conference in Vancouver in 20, 2018. And it got so out of control that the global affairs actually had to explicitly turn away 200 uh, delegates directly from China, from the o- overseas Chinese affairs office. The Overseas Chinese Affairs Office is now a function of the United Front Work Department, um, and it's run out of uh, the embassy in Ottawa and all the major consulates in the country. So, yeah, it's a big deal. It's a very big deal.
0: Well, I think that it's a level of penetration that I think still isn't registering with uh, enough Canadians. And go back to your point, it's not that it was hidden. I mean, think about that, a 2018 major conference, as you say. uh, But this is a direct arm of the Communist Party of China. And uh, that's a shocking stat for me. And we do shocking stats on this show when you say they came about, the United Front came out and took over 160 different uh, you know sort of satellite organizations within the Chinese communities across the country Uh, the influence in Toronto I think has now been chronicled as you say where it got the public's attention certainly is when you hear that they are interfering aggressively interfering in our election campaigns I mean we've heard stories of course of Aaron O'Toole as you said but Jenny Kwan from the NDP on the other side Uh, you know so it's it's really targeting these people. And I, I just think it's essential for Canadians to come to understand this, but the the other side, and I mean, I mean, I just think about what the United Front's done. They've got senators, uh, you know, it seems yeah. very closely aligned. Let's call it that, you know, I'm, uh, the, the, the
1: Canada, can, Canadian Senate is mobbed up. It's, really? it's, yeah, it's controlled by people like Senator Yen Pao Wu and Victor Roe who are, uh, they're absolutely indistinguishable in everything they do and say from senior uh, Chinese diplomats in this country. Sorry. It's the truth. Yeah. And they control blocks of the Senate, too.
0: So, Well, th- this is precisely what Canadians have to come to appreciate here, uh, that it's the degree of penetration. And, and that probably explains to, to a great degree I think the puzzle. Okay, it's my word. Puzzling response to some things like Chinese aggression in Hong Kong. You know, we didn't do anything. My my joke right. at the time, uh, my sad joke at the time is, I think they could invade in Richmond and we'd still be taking it under advisement. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and and how unaggressive we've been. And and I think it's cost us internationally. I'm thinking our relationship with the other members of the five, you know, five eyes intelligence network. Uh, the whole thing—it yeah. seems like a different approach from our government—that may partly be explained, at least, by the integration of the Communist Party operatives.
1: Oh, definitely or influence. And I mean, I you know I think there's a there's 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 a difficulty in talking about United Front operations in the what we call the Chinese community in Canada, mm-hmm. and and there's a difficulty as well in talking about the United Front uh, uh, operations in the corporate and political. Okay. Uh, Cast in Canada, in, in terms of the diaspora, the, there is no such thing as the Chinese community in Canada. This is the first thing we need to get our head, heads around, right? right? There was a Chinese community in Canada that was fairly had its own kind of legacy and traditions and uh, and uh, and so on, going back to the eighteen hundreds. Uh, I'm an immigrant. My immigrant, my family kind of immigrated into that community, the Taishanese, Cantonese community. They were our people. And they were the people who built the railroads. They worked in the mines. They uh, they had all of those lovely, um, amazing farms, as you may remember, in the Lower Fraser yeah. Valley and along the flats and so on. Agriculture Canada had once described them as the most produ- that was the most productive farmland in Canada. Yeah. These are the people we used to call the Chinese. Really, they were Taishanese, and they came from the uh, five counties at the mouth of the Pearl River Delta. Um, my people. I'm very (laughs) uh, kind of, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, and then then with all of the various wealth migration, provincial and federal wealth migration initiatives uh, that were introduced about 20 years ago, most notably, of course, the Immigrant Investor Program, a new community was introduced into this country. Now, I don't want to disparage everybody from this community, But uh, this is not the old Chinese community that we know. Uh, These are Mandarin speaking. Most of them are very, very wealthy. Uh, Many, if not most of uh, them, are uh, affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, They owe their wealth to the Chinese Communist Party. They are deeply connected in this country. There's about... I think the immigration Stats Canada and Immigration Canada will tell you that. But we're talking about seven hundred thousand people in the last twenty years, and um, you know they 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 own most of the best real estate in, in Richmond and Metro Vancouver in the GTA. Um, and there is a there's a hierarchy at the top of the Mandarin Block, uh, and there's various you know there's a, there's about five or six major confederations and organizations, and they are run by people like Wei Cheng Cheng Yi and others who are unapologetically, unambiguously senior figures in the United Front Work Department. You know, you look at the, uh, you look at the, all the people implicated in the, uh, rightly or wrongly, all of the people implicated in the election interference op- operations in the GTA in uh, 2019 and 2021, uh, they're all United Front Work Department, either operatives or agents or fellow travelers. Call them what you want. And only three weeks ago, um, uh, the, some of the key figures, public figures, um To the extent that, I mean, yeah, you're right. Hardly anybody knows about these guys. Not many people are paying attention. But publicly known figures were back in Beijing being publicly congratulated by Xi Jinping. I mean, that's the deal here, I think. It's kind of like it's in plain sight. This is the interesting thing for me. One of the reasons we have such a difficulty in getting this, there's a couple of reasons why we have difficulty getting this through to people, is that there were a lot of people in the corporate sector in this country uh, who I think we can say genuinely naively were naive. They were naive about China, uh, you know, opening up. And there were people in the bureaucracy and global affairs. You could say that they were naive. You know, we were sending uh, our officials back to China to – train judges <laughs> and, and, to, and police and all of this. I mean, it's God. But I think the idea that China would become more like us the more they became free market, um, I think this was less for a lot of people, particularly at the head of the Canada-China Business Council, the Power Corporation in Montreal, uh, you know, the whole Gemarae set, Jean, Jean, Jean Chrétien, and I would say also Jean Charest, uh, I don't know that they were naive. And I think that's certainly not something that you can say of Justin Trudeau and his family, uh, his father and his brother and everybody else connected to that circle. I think this notion that China was opening up and the more they became capitalist, the more they become democratic, I think this just more of a pretext than, a, than, than, than naivety. Um, yep. And, and it's, it, this is where I think it becomes really sinister. You know, when, when you're a CSIS agent and you're tracking this stuff uh, and you're, you're monitoring and surveilling key United Front figures and you find that the same names start showing up and they are, they are active within the Liberal Party, they form part of the Liberal Party's candidate base and fundraising networks... What do you do if you're a CSIS agent? You're not supposed to be spying on your own government. Do you open a file on Mary Ng and Michael Chan and and Han Dong? Um, so I think that's where a lot of the whistleblowing came from. And um, the other thing is that there's a very small, you know, as you well know, uh, you know, the whole sort of media model is broken, right? It's happening all over the English-speaking world, particularly in North America. It's most pronounced in Canada. Uh, and, and at the very beginning of all of this, when it really started to get weird, when um when China began to buy up strategic spigot points in the oil patch uh, during the Harper uh, government and the Harper Cabinet was split. And didn't know what to make of it. And you had the, you know, CNOC buying Nexon. It was the largest acquisition, overseas acquisition in the history of the of the Chinese Communist Party. You know, I, there were a handful of us. I remember Jerry, Jeremy Nuttall and I, Jeremy's a great guy, works for the Toronto Star now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were sitting in a bar in Ottawa. He leans across to me and he says, are we the only reporters in this country covering China, from a kind of a national security point of view, I was like, get out of here. <laughs> and, and I went, holy cow, that's true. And I was just doing it off the side of my desk. And now, I mean, over the years, you've got, now that there's sort of a change, there was a change of command at the Globe and Mail, where Edward, Ed Greenspan goes off to the public policy forum and he starts doing actual public relations work, Uh, devised by the the Chinese embassy on behalf of the federal government. It was a change of command at the Globe and Mail. That really helped. And then Sam Cooper came along. He was covering crime and smuggling in Vancouver and the Vancouver model and fentanyl and the casinos and all that stuff. So you ended up with a cohort of journalists. I can name them on the fingers almost of one hand, which is the heartbreaking Mm bit. I mean, there's me. I've been around for a while. There's... Bob Fife and Steve Chase at the Globe and Mail, amazing guys. There's poor old Sam Cooper, who's been, you know, beaten and battered and sued and everything for his amazing work uh, lately. You've got Jeremy Nuttall and Joanna Shue at the Toronto Star. Tom Blackwell, who's just taken a buyout at the National Post, but he's uh, freelancing back to the Post from time to time. You've got Bob Mackin in Vancouver. He's really good. Uh, every once in a while, Graham Wood and some freelancers and smaller, you know, uh, sort of webzine kind of deals. And you've got people, of course, in the diaspora communities who are publishing as best they can uh, independently. There's a wonderful little Substack newsletter uh, affiliated with mine. Uh, mine, by the way, is called Real Story. A little bit of a boost. It's called Found in Translation, and what they do is they translate. Um, documents and, uh, and uh, uh, transcripts from meetings and so on in Mandarin, and uh, usually Mandarin, sometimes in Cantonese, uh, involving Canadian officials and Chinese officials and United Front people in Canada, and they publish them in English. They break front-page stories almost every day. It's called Found in Translation. So it's a small town. It's a small group of journalists, Right. And part of the difficulty as well, just to conclude this little rant, is that at the federal level, the, the thing is, there there are politics, and I don't mean to beat up on the Liberals, but my gosh, they're the government, for God's sake. They've been in power since 2015. They see nothing wrong with this. The stuff that you and I look at, and most, can, by the way, 87% of Canadians, and they say, holy cow, this is wrong. They don't see this country that way. They do not see Canada in the same way. They see nothing particularly wrong with this. I am reminded of Martin Koshan, who was a liberal cabinet minister when Huawei, uh, much to the chagrin of our Five Eyes partners, was embedding itself in Ottawa and subsidized to do so, thanks to Michael Chan and the Ontario government and so on. Koshan said, well, you know, there's an old saying, if you can't beat them, join them. I mean, this has been, I'm sorry, but it has been integrated in the federal government's economic, immigration, foreign policy from the beginning of the Trudeau government. In fact, before Trudeau was even leader of the Liberal Party, you had people like uh, Dominic Barton and his, uh, his, his, his consulting agency, uh, you know, advising Trudeau on how to pull this off. You know Barton, who was at the time, you know, actually on a board overseeing Chinese state-owned operations <laughs> in China, uh, doing consulting work for the Chinese who were building those militarized islands in the South China Sea. You know, I mean, this is this is who these guys are. You had the head of the China, Canada-China Business Council, Peter Harder, who was retained by Trudeau to essentially pick his first cabinet, head his transition, and then was. Given the most senior position in the in in the Senate, um, it was all sort of in plain sight, you know. So when you've got Trudeau, you know this great public relations effort that the the, the United Front Work Department was pulling off. When you've got the Prime Minister of this country skating out on the ice with Premier Lee Kang in a Habs jersey and everyone, yay, isn't this lovely? Um, This is in plain sight, right? And so I think a lot of politicians and a lot of maybe journalists or publishers publishers and editors, hate to be mean about this, but the CBC, which has never broken one significant story about China or Chinese influence at all, um, who's going to say, my God, my God, what have we done? Who's going to say, holy cow, we were wrong? Who's going to say this was happening under our noses for years, and I'm sorry we let you down? We messed up. That doesn't happen often.
0: Well, uh, there's a couple of things there. One is that uh, when you say naivety, I, I don't know how people could not recognize who they are dealing with after Tiananmen Square, yeah. after they after they break the international agreement on Hong Kong, and we have no response to that, no meaningful response whatsoever. Who did we think we were dealing with? It, it's my take that the Canadian public's consciousness was raised when they kidnapped the the two in quotes the two Michaels. Yeah, uh, you know these are not nice guys. know, the biggest human rights abuser on the planet. I think there's no competition there. I mean, nobody's arguing that point. Certainly none of the human rights. Who did we think we were dealing with? And especially what's, uh, I think, distressing is the work you've done, CSIS, uh, you know, the parliamentary uh, committee. You know, the National Security Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians, uh, the Canadian military. How many warnings did we need on this? You know, as you say, though, the key point, it was in plain sight, and no reaction. Uh, maybe the most outrageous example that you uh, one that you have written about, but is uh, John McCallum. You know, oh, yeah, Chinese, you I mean, well, I think people have to know that story. Well, John McCallum, Chinese interference. I mean, yes,
1: you know. I mean one of them. I mean, it's comical. It's really comical, right? I mean, it's just so amazing that who's going to believe this, right? You wrote, report this in the most crisp Canadian press style pyramid style report, you know, a news mm-hmm. story. It's like Martians have landed. <laughs> John McCallum, who took like seventy three thousand dollars in free trips to China. Uh, before he was in the cabinet, uh, whose sons have all married into, you know, Chinese uh, elite families. Peter Harder, Peter Harder, by the way, whose son worked in the embassy in China. You got John McCallum. And the interesting thing about this, this wasn't like a CSIS wiretap that was leaked to a reporter, Right. You had, I mean, John McCallum, he thought it, he was a cabinet minister. And when he was, he was appointed ambassador to China, he considered this a promotion. He goes to China. The, the, the whole Meng Wanzhou, two Mike's things erupts. He takes China's side publicly twice to the point where Christian Freeland had to say to Justin Trudeau, either he goes or I go. This is mental. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 uh, and so McCallum, you know, he returns to, you know, his previous line of business. And he's, you know, I can't, is it Denton's? One of those law firms, Denton's, by the way, they all end up at Denton's. And people forget that Denton's is actually basically a wholly owned subsidiary of Beijing Da Cheng. And we trot out people like Jean, Jean Chrétien as this elder statesman. You know, what do you think, John? Is this important? <laughs> he, he, he works with Beijing.Cheng, for God's sake. All he's been doing since he was chased out of the country in that uh, sponsorship scandal is he's been greasing bombs in Beijing for big money for a firm that's the subsidiary of the largest law consultancy on earth, Beijing.Cheng. Anyway, McCallum wasn't a wiretap wire transcript. You know, it wasn't a leak to a reporter on the record in an interview with the South China Morning Post says, yeah, I've been telling all of my former interlocutors in the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs in how they should comport themselves and conduct themselves in such a way as to ensure the reelection of the Liberal Party in the upcoming election and the defeat of the Conservative Party. Now, he said this on the record, and I think this is very telling. It's telling that he, it goes to my point, these guys see nothing wrong with this. They see this, they don't think the way we do. Mm -hmm. They don't see this country in the same way we do. You know, Trudeau's famous post-national state and all that stuff. How do you do national security in a post-national state? Of course, they're all trying to, They're doing whatever they can to shut down public discussion about all of this. Of course, they took, instead of a public inquiry, they hired David Johnston. David Johnston is a textbook case of elite capture. You know, he's got honorary degree from Nanjing University. You know, his daughters are, you know, he says everybody in Canada should be speaking Chinese. He's got daughters who went uh, three daughters who went to university in China. You know he established the first Confucius Institute in, in Canada, which is a you know it's an overseas surveillance and 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 strong arm agency of the Chinese government. You know that's David Johnston, this lovely man. You know sweet grandfatherly figure. I know we'll bring him in, and he issues this whitewash report. Of course they don't want us to know about this. And by they, I mean, you know, the core group around Justin Trudeau. And the Liberals fought against the establishment of the Canada-China Committee in the House of Commons. They fought against every single effort by journalists or by opposition parties to know the basic facts about what has been going on here. Um, and the NDP, I regret to say, hasn't been much better. They've just been sort of tagging along. I mean, there's good liberals and good New Democrats and, and rancid liberals and rancid New Democrats. And the same can be said for the conservatives, I suppose. But, um, you know, I regret, I, I, I worry. I don't, I don't know that the public inquiry as it's currently formulated in a motion. That uh, originally was authored uh, by the new Democratic Party. Uh, I don't know that it's going get, to get at this. If we do get a public inquiry, I think we're going to have to start focusing. You know it's going to be a laser focus on what we're talking about here. Otherwise, you know we'll have you know, all of these hearings about you know, the NDP's fixation on whether or not Russia was behind the trucker convoy and all of this kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> carry on. So, yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal and if you love your country or if you just like your country or if you think Canada might be a, you know, healthy liberal democracy uh, you know, in- informed by the values of pluralism and uh and human rights and sovereignty, then well, I think this is probably going to be something you might want to think about.
0: A- absolutely, I think this is uh as I say, the biggest story uh, in the last year to the public's attention, you've been chronicling it for, I mean, the incredible thing is how hard they had to work to ignore various reports, as I alluded to earlier, uh, you know, uh, and just uh, there was a working effort. But I think your explanation is because they had a completely different view of Canada, of what Canada is, uh, and obviously it well integrated into, uh, you know, uh, power circles in yeah. this country. I, to me, I feel, uh, and it, it's a lonely world, as you say, I can also, I'm familiar with the like five, six people who've been, you know, sort of bravely leading this charge. And uh, I'm glad the National Post, Ottawa Citizen, you know, have done that with you and giving you that platform. But I'd also say to people, go to the real story, because you oh, get a thanks. chance, uh, not just on, you know, on Substack, but not just on, of course, specifically China uh, there's, you've done some great stuff, and I'll tell you on the, uh, uh, of another pertinent uh, subject for another time, as I called it, the bravest story, uh, when you talked about some of the holes in the unmarked grave story. Yeah, you know, that, that was, was an there, entire uh, concoction
1: of, of the federal government. All these indigenous communities across Canada are taking it on the chin because of this stuff. This was, you know, I hate it when people say, oh, the Indians are grifting the federal government. It's actually the other way around. And, and also the Russia stuff, which is big right now. I got hauled off to all everything I was doing to focus on Russia. And I've got several chips on my shoulder there. I, I've been sanctioned by Russia. I'm barred from mm-hmm. Russia. I'm a senior fellow with the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights. So is uh, Vladimir Karamurza, who's in jail in Russia and who's now an honorary citizen. So that's three chips on my shoulder. Um, so yeah, I mean it's uh, it's it is a small town. Unfortunately, there's really great journalists in this country who've been doing their best to basically just do some basic gumshoe reporting, and 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 it's a very 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 difficult environment. On the China file, you have this massive United Front operation right now that's trying to shut down the uh, the, the, the 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 move to a, a foreign. Agents registry. And yes. you've got Yen Pao Wu and, and Victor Oh and all these really and they're this is big money. Just unimaginable wealth. I mean, when they when they show up to harass you know the, the protesters in favor of Hong Kong um, you know, in the last couple, they show up in fleets of Lamborghinis and McLarens, You know, and now they're saying they're starting up a big fund to go after journalists who engage in what they are now calling election denialism, (laughs) you know, anybody. So it's, you know, it's tough. And I think you just got to do what you do, tell the truth, do the right thing, put your best foot forward. Uh, And, you know, at the end of the day, you sleep the sleep of the just, and you get up the next day and give her a gain. I don't know what else you can do. Well,
0: but what you've described here is a huge challenge. And the, only the Canadian public can get behind the work, uh, you know, in favor of Canada as a nation, the independence of the nation against that kind of interference by the biggest human rights abuser on the planet, and the public's got to, as you say, I, I appreciate that the public sentiment is recognizing who we're dealing with in China. But we have to do more to support because they got a lot of money, a lot of opposition. You remember when they paid the protesters down in Vancouver? Yeah. I can't remember. You know, a couple of years ago, we find, oh, they it's, were all paid. So this lame. is my job. <laughs> well, absolutely. But that that is direct. That's what my whole point is here. It's such in, in pervasive interference by the Communist Party of China and either that's not good enough or allowed or, you know, uh, it's way over anybody's boundary. And thanks to the work you've done and others, uh, at least it's in our attention. Well, it you too, in Mike. The public's court. You well, too, Well, thank you for Take that. Think about it. The, the public, uh, you know, the ball is in our court as a public to say, no, not enough. Yeah. And uh, anyways, Terry, uh, look, I've kept you longer, but I really appreciate and I want to encourage people to go to the Ottawa Citizen, go to the National Post, but really go to the real story. Because there's so much more going on here, and Terry get a, gets a chance to discuss it and write about it with in detail. Because I'll tell you, good journalism starts with uh, work ethic, in my opinion, and uh, it has a lot of other qualities, but it starts with a work ethic. Intellectual laziness in this kind of a complex environment is not uh, beneficial to anybody. And uh, Terry does the work along with people like Sam Cooper, Robert Fife, Steve Chase. So there is a small group, but does the work the real so go to substack you just put in the real story terry thanks for finding time
1: thanks a lot happy canada day everybody